Good evening, everyone. I am flying solo tonight. Well, I got a couple people in the church with me, but uh, Pastor Ian is on vacation, so we will be doing this Bible study without him tonight. Um, for all of you on Facebook, if you have any prayer requests or any questions, feel free to post them. I can see them. And if any of you in the audience have any questions, feel free to just speak up and we'll answer your questions. All right. Um, so tonight we're going to continue Acts chapter 2. I believe last week we left off with verse 12. Um, verse 12 said, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So that's where we're going to pick up tonight. Um, but first, I just want to say, you know, go ahead and send in your prayer request if you have any. We'll take those at the end of the night and we will pray for everyone. Uh, we've got a couple already on the list. So uh, we'll open up with some prayer and then we'll go ahead and get right into the Bible study. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be here tonight. What a blessed evening it is. It's not too cold and not very warm, but we're, we'll take what we can get, Lord, for January. So thank you for being in our presence tonight. Guide us as we hear your word spoken, as we go through the book of Acts. Lord, let it penetrate our hearts and build the relationship we have with you. Let us walk away from here with more knowledge than we came in here with or watching on Facebook with more knowledge than we began watching with. Father, we just pray that you receive all glory and praise for all that you do for us. And Father, we want to say a special prayer for Pastor Ian and his family as they're on vacation. Pray that they will enjoy their time away and get some much needed rest. In Jesus' name we pray, Father God, amen. All right, so where we left off, the Holy Spirit had come on the day of Pentecost, and what they saw was like tongues of fire that had come and landed on each of the people that were there. Now, we know that the 12 disciples were there, the 11 minus Judas, you know, 12 minus Judas with the 11, and then Matthias, who had been recently instilled as the 12th to replace Judas. But then the Bible also tells us that there were 120 of them that were together. So here, people start to hear in their own native language. Now, the day of Pentecost was a very special day for the nation of Israel because in Leviticus chapter 23, God had spelled out seven feasts that were the Lord's feast. And one of them was the day of Pentecost. They called it Shavuot or the feast of weeks because for seven weeks they would count leading up to the 50th day after the Passover. So Pentecost means 50th, and that's where we get that name. But this is also the day that God chose to bring the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, and things really changed at that point. Interesting to know, it's not, it doesn't say this in the Bible in Acts chapter 2, but if you take the time frame from when Pentecost was until, and we look back in the book of Exodus and count the days, from the time that Moses went up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments, broke them, came back down with another set of Ten Commandments, and read the law, it was the day, it was 50 days after the Passover. So it coincides, Pentecost coincides with the reading of the law for the very first time by Moses in the book of Exodus. So just a little interesting tip to start you off with tonight. So let's begin with verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to stop right there for a moment. 
as Peter is saying, he's saying what is happening here is what was spoken of in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, I believe it begins with verse 28. Is that correct? Anybody know? <laughs> I believe it begins with verse 28 in Joel. And here in Acts chapter 2, Peter is saying that is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, if a prophecy is fulfilled, does that mean that it can't be fulfilled again? No, that's not what it means. In fact, many of the prophecies have a very small meaning, then they have a greater meaning, and sometimes have an even greater meaning. And some, a lot of times, if they had a small meaning, when, for example, when Joseph prophesied that his father would bow to him, this father would bow to the son and the son to the father, was in a way a prophecy of when Jesus would go into heaven and be with God the Father. But it will have a greater meaning, once again, in the kingdom of heaven. So here this prophecy takes place on the day of Pentecost, fulfillment on the day of Pentecost, but it will have another great meaning, as it says in the very beginning here, in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Many people believe that this is happening right now. And if it is, all these things will soon follow. Many people believe this has been happening for a while. But if something has been happening for a while, it'll happen in greater measure as time goes on. So this also could have a very significant meaning someday in the kingdom of heaven. And a way to illustrate this is Jesus, in, a, in I believe it's in the book of John, he spoke of, in a parable, he said that, let me make sure I get this right now, that to people would bring in fish, and he gave three numbers, 30, 60, and I believe it was 123. It was not 120, I don't think. But he gave three numbers in a way to say that this is the way prophecy works. It's a small, like 30, a little bit greater, 60, and then this huge number, it's even greater than double what it was before. That's the kingdom of heaven. So that's why this prophecy could possibly and probably is coming true right now in this very day and age. So if it is, what will we see? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I told Ian about a dream I had one night and he said, you know what that means? I said, yeah, it means I'm old. Your old men dream dreams, so <laughs> it is what it is. But he's older, six months, by the way. I like to rub that in. So even on my servants, both men and women, this is huge for this time, but it's, it's very important to know that no matter if you're a man or a woman, God can pour out his spirit upon you so that you can prophesy, so that you can dream dreams, so that you can see visions. So many things could possibly be happening for you. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Now, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. I truly believe that in the coming days, maybe even this year, I firmly believe this possible, that we will start to see these signs and wonders that are being spoken of. And we'll have a choice to make. Will we accept that? Or will we say, they're drunk? Now, am I saying that people in this church will start speaking in tongues? I don't know. That's a possibility. Not, I don't know. I'm not even going to say not likely. But it is a possibility because that's one of the signs and wonders. Maybe you'll see healings. Maybe you'll see prophecies coming true. Maybe you'll see the hand of God moving upon people and a revival taking place. There's all kinds of ways this can play out. But here on the day of Pentecost, it played out by a great revival. As we continue on, we will find out how many people turned to the Lord on this day from the preaching of Peter and the other 11 disciples. So let me begin now with verse 22. Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you 
by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I'm going to stop there. I lost my connection to Facebook, so let me just pull it up real quick just to make sure we don't have any questions on there. Are there any questions from the audience at the time? No. Okay. So Jesus is speaking to the men of Israel here. This is very important, I believe, because it, he's speaking to the very people who, as he says, nailed him to the cross. Okay, I've got Facebook feedback up now. We're good. The very people who nailed him to the cross. So, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. So, they themselves did not do it. Okay? It was, it was God's set purpose for Jesus to be handed over to his own people to fulfill prophecies about him in the Old Testament. by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, the Romans, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Just therefore, speaking what had happened weeks earlier with the death of Jesus, Peter is now speaking with the power of the Holy Spirit that has come upon him and saying all of this, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So let's talk about that for a minute. Why was it impossible for death to keep its hold on him? If we turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says to us that the wages of sin is death. Now he goes on to say, but the gift of God is life in Jesus Christ. But the wages of sin is death. So death could not hold him because it had nothing against him, nothing at all against him. The fact that God gave the law in the beginning, and even before Exodus, God gave a law. He said to um, Adam and Eve, do not eat from the tree. That's a law, that's a, a commandment of God. Do not eat from this tree. God is very legal, okay? And the rule of law in any land is what keeps that land controlled and civilized. We can go clear back to Hammurabi's law. We can go back to the law of Moses. We can take laws throughout all kinds of nations. When they have laws, they are civilized. When the laws are broken and people ignore the laws, society falls apart. It's just the way we are as human beings. But God's law has been established from the beginning. And God's law says that if you sin, you deserve death. So what he's saying is, death could not hold him. It was impossible for death to hold him because he was without sin. So God freed him from the agony of death and raised him from the dead. This is, some people call it the first sermon of the, the Christian church. Okay, the sermon is the first from Jesus' followers to be recorded in the Bible and it's of particular interest because this is the gospel in a nutshell. Not that the gospel fits in a nutshell. You know, I kind of hate that term because the gospel doesn't fit in a nutshell. But if we could want to say the gospel in a nutshell, this is it. Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. He took our sins upon him and was raised up. And when he was raised up, that sin did not stay on him. It stayed in the ground where it is now gone forever. And that too fits a 
very common tradition from Leviticus 23 of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Jews would actually take bread, which represented sin, bread with leaven in it, and they would bury it in the ground to say, this is our sin being buried in the ground. Why do you think God had them do that? So that they would know when they see Jesus buried in the ground, oh, he is the Messiah. Maybe we should listen to him. But yet today, by and large, for the most part, the Jews don't believe. But God will use their own, <clears throat> excuse me, festivals and traditions to show them someday when he lifts the veil from their eyes to see. And they will look to the book of Acts chapter 2 and read what Peter said, a Jew of their own being, and see the sermon that was, was spoken. And then Peter goes on and speaks about David. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, those who were hearing this, had they been scholarly, scholarly type, I can't say that word, scholarly types, would have known that this came from Psalm 16. Okay, now at that time, they didn't call it Psalm 16. Okay, they didn't have a delineation of chapter and verse at that time. They would have known that from the scrolls, from the Psalms of David, we know that he had said this. Okay, and he said this long before Jesus was ever raised from the dead. So the implications of this are amazing. God has not only raised Jesus from the dead, the disciples witnessed it. Peter himself went into the tomb and saw that it was empty, along with John, after Mary had come running to them and said that he was gone. He saw that the tomb was empty. He was reinstated by Jesus. And now the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he begins to speak in tongues, he begins to prophesy, he begins to teach. So many things are going on now because the Holy Spirit has finally come. This day is a truly historic day in the Bible. It is amazing what's happening. We have to remember, with the little bit we learned from the book of Acts chapter 1, that there was 120 people that started in Christianity. 120 people. Think about how large of a crowd 120 people is. Now, for some churches, as we said a couple weeks ago, that's a very large crowd. Compared to the number of Christians in the world today, that is so insignificant, isn't it? With millions and millions and millions of Christians in the world, hundreds of millions of Christians, it is insignificant to think that 120, but that's how it started out. And now Peter is taking that 120, and he's going to have a big increase, a great big revival is about to take place. And he's telling them, he's going through it step by step, and he invokes the scriptures. Yes, not the Old Testament, the scriptures, because at that time, there was no Old Testament and New Testament, there was just the scriptures. And he speaks from the scriptures and says, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. And we know that Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He says, I will not be shaken. Shaken. Let's, let's think about that word for a moment. When I say shaken, what do you think of? First thing I think of is earthquake. You know, because the earth shakes, okay? But shaken can also be, like if you get cold, you know, you've get your, your, got the chills and you're shaking. That's the way to keep your body warm. Shaken can also be when something happens to you in your life. Something significant happens. Sometimes we say, we were shaken. We didn't see it coming. We didn't expect it. It shook our lives. It changed our lives. We probably, as we get older, all will have at least one moment like that. And some people have several 
moments that just shake their lives. Now, what's shaken for one person may be insignificant for another. But David is saying, I will not be shaken because he saw the Lord at the right hand of God. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Let's consider David for a moment. A warrior defeated Goliath at a very young age, fought in many wars, had a lot of blood on his hands. He was king. He was hated. He was hunted. Hunted before he became king. He was hunted when he was king. His son turned against him. He had a rough life. But my body will live in hope because he saw in the future. He prophesied, if you will, into the future. He saw the Messiah standing at the right hand of God. And he's telling people long before this ever happened, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Not only that, he's saying now that this Messiah won't die. And that's exactly what happened. Peter's tying it together. He's saying, look, you guys hung him on the cross. We didn't want that, okay? You kicked him out. You destroyed him. You killed him. We thought it was over, but God had another plan. And he brought him in, brought him up from the grave. He's walking the earth for 40 days until he ascended into heaven. He died on Passover. He was in the grave three days and three nights. He rose on Passover, or rose three days after Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, and he walked the earth for 40 days. And there, seven days later, total of 50, if you add it up, 40 plus 3 plus 7, day of Pentecost, Peter's telling them, these things that David saw, these things that you did, here they are. Here we are. We put it together now, and this is the truth. This is the foundation of the church. It's 2021. What is the church's foundation today? The church's foundation today is now, as it always has been, Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. I'm not talking about the brick or cement or, or stones of a church building. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And Peter is teaching them at this moment this foundation. You have made me known, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Trust me, it would be like in our day and age for them to hear this, would be like for me to come before you and say, hey, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That You recognize that, right? You know what that is. I don't think I have to tell you. It's John 3.16. Most people know that. They grow up knowing that, even if they don't go to church. I went to church five times as a child, and I knew that verse. I, okay, the first time I ever saw it was at a sporting event, and I asked my dad, what's that mean? And he explained it to me. But that, hey, I knew it, okay? I knew it growing up. We know it. it's common. But see, what I'm saying is that if I were to come to you and say that now, That'd be like what Peter's saying to them when he's quoting Psalm 16. He's tying it together. So any questions? There's nothing on Facebook. Any questions from the audience so far? Okay. So let's continue on verse 29. He continues on talking to them. He says, brothers, I can tell you confidently, confidently, that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would, would place one of his descendants on his throne. We can go back to, uh, I believe it's in 2 Kings, uh, maybe 1 Kings, I can't remember for sure, definitely also in the Chronicles. We can go back to that very place where where this was told to David. He promised him. He promised it to Judah. Jacob promised it to Judah back in the book of Genesis. He said, the scepter shall never leave Judah. The scepter meaning a king. A king holds a scepter. That's how you know he's a king. 
other than the crown. The scepter shall never pass from Judah. He would always have someone. So Judah, we go down the line, we come to David. You can find this in Matthew, in chapter 1, actually, among other places. First Chronicles, the very first beginning, first seven chapters of First Chronicles, you can find it in there as well. Judah, all the way down to David. And then he made a promise to David. God made a promise to David, made a covenant with David. You'll always have a king on the throne. Now, there was times when Israel didn't have a king. They were living in exile. They didn't have a king when they were in Babylon. Their king got his eyes poked out and dragged to Babylon. But they had a king on the throne always because of what he saw in Psalm 16. So you see, he's further tying it together. There's no way you can deny it at this point. If you understand the scripture, if you understand who David was, there is no denying that this Jesus, whom they handed, was handed over to the Jews so they could kill him, raised from the dead. He said he was a prophet knew that God had promised him an, on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. That's Jesus. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Three days, no decay. I'm sure, and I'm not a medical person at all, but I'm sure that if we could talk to a doctor, they'd probably tell you the body doesn't decay after three days. It probably takes longer. I'm sure it's probably not four days either because Lazarus, though he stunk, as we find out in John chapter 11, he wasn't decaying yet. So his body didn't see decay. He wasn't dead long enough. It's not like someone just was born and looked like him and 100 years later said, oh, hey, I, I finally came back from the dead. No, it was three days. Three days. Three days. His body would not see decay. He spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's from Psalm 110. Again, Peter didn't say that's from Psalm 110 verse 1. He said, David said this. God spoke to David. David was a prophet. They accept that. And he said, the Lord said to my Lord, wait, the Lord God said to my Lord, Father said to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So there's no denying at this point for the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, it's easy for me to say that, but do we still have people that don't believe? Yeah, we do. But as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that God has made himself known in many ways, to creation, that there is no denying. Remember what I said about God being legal. I can't get a speeding ticket from a cop if I don't see a sign or if it's not posted somewhere, even if I don't see it. I can, could we use that argument? I didn't see it, officer. Okay, well, you could go then. No, that doesn't work that way. If the sign's there, whether you see it or not, I know that because it happened to me one day. I said, oh, I didn't see that. He goes, yeah, well, it's there. And by, by golly, the next time I went through there, I saw it. And I didn't go over 35 again through there. But anyway, if that sign's not there, he can't give me a ticket. I don't know what the speed limit is. So God has made it clear to all of creation that he is God, that his son, Jesus, is the Messiah and the only way to heaven. You can choose to not believe it. And I chose to believe that day that there was no speed limit 35 sign, but guess what? The cop told me it was there. He didn't give me a ticket, but he showed grace. 
But I'm telling you, it's here. It's in the Bible. And it's not just in the Bible. Look around you. The miracle of birth should be enough. If that's not enough, take a piece of corn, let it dry out and put it in the ground. And a week later, look, and you got a little shoot coming up. The miracle of life. Not just in humans, but in plants and animals. And the miracle of the sun. Close enough to it that we're warm, but not so close that we're burnt and not so far away that we're like Mars or Jupiter where it can't sustain life. It's all through creation. They couldn't deny it because of what Peter was saying to them. He went through the scripture. He took King David, their beloved king, and he quoted his words that they knew very well. There was no denying it. And if we look around us, there is no denying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Oh, I understand it can be difficult to accept, and you don't know where to go when you first accept it. But accept it and allow God and others to help you along the way to come to know him more. These guys were having a hard time accepting it possibly, but they accepted and they grew into it. Oh, and it was much, much difficulty, as we'll find out as we continue through this book of Acts. But there's no denying. They cannot deny it. I'm going to begin with verse 36 and, and read on down to verse 41. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. We'll talk about that in a moment. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. I want to read that again. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Mic drop, we're out of here. <laughs> 3,000. I asked you at the beginning to think about how big 120 is. Okay? I don't know the exact number, but I'm going to guess it's probably 28 times that, 27 times that. 3,000 people were added to their numbers that day. 3,000. But I don't want to focus on that. I want to go back to when Peter says in verse 38, well, back up one more to verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now keep in mind, Peter has just gone through the scriptures, the Psalms, and what happened just a couple weeks ago, 50 days ago, to be exact, seven weeks in a day, just gone through everything that had happened. They knew what happened. Many of them lived in Jerusalem, and many of them were in Jerusalem that day because that was the Passover, another day that you go to Jerusalem. They may have gone home for those seven weeks, but they were back. So they knew what happened. They knew this Jesus. They watched the crucifixion. They saw him die. They saw him say, it is finished. They knew exactly who he was talking about. They couldn't deny it. And they reconciled what he was saying. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. They knew that was a prophecy of the Messiah. Light bulb, it clicked. 
You ever have one of those light bulb moments where you just, oh, I understand. I know every single one of us who have ever come to the Lord have had that realization. Oh, that's part of your salvation, that moment when you say, oh, I get it. Oh, he, oh, he died for me. My sins on his body, left in the grave. Oh, makes sense. You know, that aha moment. We call it an epiphany moment. They had that, and it were cut to the heart. It means they were, they just, they didn't know what to do. They were, it's like this. You realize that you've been, I'll, I'll, put, I'll do it, two, I'll tell you two different ways. If you're a sports fan, it's like getting the football after a fumble and going the wrong way and scoring a touchdown for the other team. Actually, it'd be a safety, I guess, but going the wrong way, okay? It'd be like, you know that you were telling everybody that you, this, this is the way it is, and I know I'm right. Two plus two equals five. I can prove to you two plus two equals five. And then somebody gives, brings out four apples. Here's two apples. Here's two apples. And you go one, two, three, four. Oh, I was wrong. Two plus two equals four. I know that sounds very elementary and simple, but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. They realized they were wrong. They killed this man. We're talking death. That's about as serious as you can get. They killed him. They watched him die on the cross. And now they realize he's the Messiah. They were cut to the heart. What do we do now? They say to Peter. What do we do? And what's Peter say? If you don't take anything else away from this night, please take this verse away. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's our salvation. When we believe what was said, I, I misspoke there. When we believe what was said, we are saved. When we repent and we baptize, that clears the way for the salvation to come in and, and stay in our hearts. It clears the way to establish that relationship with God. It clears the way for the Holy Spirit to begin to work in your life. And man, I wish I had about four more hours that I could go into this because believe me, I could talk for four hours straight about repentance and being baptized and what it means. But we're running out of time. So stick with me the next few weeks, and we will cover this more. Ian and I will cover it. I will cover it in other ways on other things that I do on the Internet. It's so important. Repentance is of the utmost importance. That's why he put that word first repent. It's not saying, God, I'm sorry. That'd be like me taking my car one night and just driving through Belair and knocking down mailboxes and, and hitting cars and destroying lights, street lights, and just saying, you know what, I'm sorry. Are you going to accept that? You're just, I'm just sorry? Sure. God is willing to accept, I'm sorry. But God wants you to go a step further. God wants you to repent, confess with your mouth, and repent, speaking out, I confess, Lord, that I did this, I did this, I did this. I can't remember all those things. No, we can't. But guess who can? Almighty God. I mean, if you take a moment, do it tonight. Do it tomorrow. Do, just don't go too long without doing this. Say, God, is there something I'm, something that is holding back my relationship with you? Something that is keeping me from knowing you better? Something that the enemy has come in and said, I can burden this person now because of this sin. Is there anything like that? I want to repent of it. And it will come to mind. I promise you. God will bring it to mind. And not only that, when you say, oh, I, you know, that was 40 years ago. I, don't, I, I thought, it's in my past. I walked away from it. If God brings it to mind, 
repent of it. I don't care how old it is. I don't care if it's 90 years old. Repent of it. Okay? Because God's bringing it to mind because that is something that's holding you back. It'd be one thing for me to say, oh, I'm sorry, but if I come confess to you and I say, look, I knocked down your mailbox, I'm sorry. I hit your car, I'm sorry. You're going to feel a little bit better that I owned up to it, right? You might still be mad at me, and that's a human thing. God will forgive, where humans will sometimes not, or not as easily. But if I own up to it, instead of just a blanket, I'm sorry, that means the world of difference, doesn't it? If someone does something to you and they own up to it, instead of just saying, oh, I'm sorry, forgive me, yeah, it makes a big difference. Come on, tell me I'm wrong. God wants you to come to him and repent and tell him what you've done wrong. He knows. He's, he actually, he's the one that's going to remind you. But when you do, it removes any legalities that the demons may be holding against you to allow you to come in or to allow God to, to be stronger in your life. Sure, God can just wipe it all out. Okay? Your sins, you're not going to... You're not going to hell. Your sins are forgiven. But repentance establishes the relationship. It improves the relationship. It, it, it paves the way for the relationship. It makes it stronger. So don't skip that part. Don't skip that repentance. That is so important. That's why John the Baptist preached it. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And by repent, I mean to say to God, I did this, and I'm sorry. There's more we can go into that, but I don't have time. But just take that away tonight, if you would. Repent and be baptized, not just your leaders, every one of you. I cannot be baptized for you. I cannot repent for you. I cannot receive salvation for you. You, all of us, individually, each one of you, as Peter said, must do it ourselves. We must do it for ourselves. I'll give you an example. I've used this one before, so it may sound familiar to you, but if my daughter comes to me and says, hey, Dad, Brandon wants to borrow the car. You know what I'm going to say? Tell Brandon to come ask me if he wants to borrow the car. I want that one-on-one -on -one with Brandon. I don't want a third party. That's why... My daughter, Julia, can't come to me and say, Brandon wants to borrow the car. Brandon has to ask me. You understand what I'm saying? God doesn't say, Phil is coming, Phil, Phil coming to God saying, God, I'm going to um, repent for, for Jim, Lisa, and Nancy because they're here tonight. God's going to say, you tell Jim, Lisa, and Nancy to come talk to me. And Jim, Lisa, and Nancy better go talk to God because Phil can't do it for him. That's what I'm saying, okay? That's why, I mean, it's an individual thing. We have to do it for ourselves. That's why Peter said, every one of you, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It's for all of us. Peter didn't realize what he was saying here. He was going to get into an argument, and we'll read about it here in a few chapters, about, you know, this isn't for everybody. It's just, it's just for the Jews, right? No. He's speaking to Jews here and people who lived in Jerusalem. But he's saying to them, by the Holy Spirit, for you and your children and all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. Wow. And he called more than just the Jews. He called the Gentiles as well. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. I think we're going to stop there. We'll probably pick up with verse 40 next week, maybe, and talk about that and move on from there. But 3,000. 3,000 accepted that night. That's just mind-boggling. So, are there any questions? There's nothing on Facebook.
no questions from you guys, okay. Um, last call to get your prayer requests in because we've come to the end of our time tonight. We, we covered quite a bit, and we covered verses 14 through 40, but that was because it was all part of the same sermon that Peter gave. And then starting verse 41, it goes into another section. So we'll start there next week. But there was no denying it for the Jews. There's no denying it for us. And I sincerely hope that the study tonight has opened your eyes a little more, opened your heart a little more, opened your ears a little more. Take, my, take heed of my words about the repentance. And don't take my word for it. Take it to God and say, God, I want to know what Phil is talking about. What's this reveal stuff to me? See what God does with you. Try it, please. I guarantee it will make a difference in your life. It will bring freedom. And again, if I start talking now, I am going to go for four hours. So I'm going to stop there. So we got a couple prayer requests for tonight. Um, Jody Schreiner passed away. Uh, so we want to pray for the Schreiner family. And you said Jody was 55 or 56 in his mid-50s. That died of COVID, was it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's about enough of this COVID. And... Um, Jeremy Chirpus, we've been praying for him for quite a bit of time now. Um, he is in the hospital. He's, he, I, heard from, um, um, I heard from someone tonight that he is doing better, but he's still critical. Okay, so your prayers, I know we put this out on the uh, Ohio Valley Community Voice earlier today. Um, I know many people have been praying. It was in the Ohio Valley Community Prayer Group. People are praying for Jeremy Please, even if you don't know Jeremy, I, I don't know how old he is. He's in his 40s, I think. He's young. He's younger than I am. I know that. Um, let's keep him in our prayers because it's important that we want to see him recover. We want, God's done such a good work in him. We want to continue to see God work in him. And, and I know he will. But God wants us to do our part. And God wants us to pray. Just like God wants us to repent, to do our part, he wants us to pray. So, anybody else, any other prayer requests? Which one? Sam Burkhart family? He passed away? Okay. Okay. Anybody else? I don't think I see any on Facebook. No. Okay. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you for taking us through Peter's sermon. We just pray, Lord, now that these words, though, they, it may have been a lot to take in right now, we pray, Father, that you will help these words grow in our heart. Help us to understand the, the weightiness that came with them and, and how it impacted the Jews. And 3,000 came to know you that day, Lord. So, Father, we just pray that these words will have that same impact on everyone who watched us live, who were in the church or who will watch this recording or hear this podcast? Let those words be as weighty on us as they were 2,000 years ago. And may they penetrate our hearts and help us grow. Father, we pray tonight for the Burkhardt family and the Schreiner family as they have both suffered losses of loved ones. Father, it is difficult to lose a loved one, especially when they're younger. But Lord, it is, it is just difficult no matter the age. And we pray that these families will be comforted. Lord, they have a void in their lives now. And we're asking you to send your Holy Spirit to fill that void and ease the pain. Help them in their mourning. Help them to hold on to the memories. Help them, Father in the days and weeks and months to come and help them as each year passes. And Father, for Jeremy, Lord God, we pray your healing hand will come upon him in a mighty way. We pray right now, Lord, that you will send down your hand from heaven to touch his chest and heal him of this pneumonia. 
cleanse his lungs and remove the infection and let the air flow come. We pray this healing anointing upon him that he will feel it. He will know that he's been touched by the hand of God. And then, Lord, we just pray that everyone will hear this story, how we prayed for Jeremy and he was healed, how we all prayed for Jeremy and he was healed by you. To you be the glory forever and ever, Lord. Keep us safe as we travel home tonight. Help us to come back on Sunday in, in whatever church we worship in. Keep us all safe and healthy in this, these days of this pandemic. And Father, help us to be healthy in our relationships with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for joining in tonight. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. And we will see you next week. Good night.